father? The boy's finally done it, mother. Albert, you're a genius. How'd you come up with it? I discovered the formula for splitting beer atoms. Ink. We've got to register this at the patent office. Albert, you've got to go to the mainland. Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Podcast, the show where we try to understand the present by living in the past. My name is Bob Canning. And I am Tim Blevins. And today on the show we are heading back to the biggest blockbuster summer in the history of summer blockbusters. We're talking about 1989. Is that really the biggest summer of all the blockbusters? I think there's some contention there. I think people, I've always heard, and again, I think wherever you grow or wherever you grew up, it's, it's, or whenever you're alive, it's going to change. 1984 and 1989 are the two that I always hear duking out. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that was just Bob Canning doing oh, yeah. the show's opening. How was that? Pretty good. You read my typo. I really appreciate that. It's 20th Century Popcast, P-O-P-C-A-S-T, but I typed a, a podcast or spell check fixed it that way, so I noticed you said that. So thank you. You followed my notes. I'm the one who effed it up. But you tricked me. It. You tricked me, Tim. Uh, I tricked you. I it's, got it's, you. It's 5.30 in the morning. I don't have the uh, the brain capacity yet to understand that that was yeah, incorrect. This is incredibly early to talk, let alone record a podcast. I feel it's later for me. It's about 8.30 here. I'm probably ahead because of the coast. But yeah, Bob Canning did it, everyone. So that's awesome. <laughs> I, no, I did it poorly. I did it incorrectly. That's a sentence, too. But, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to be doing any better when I tell you uh, when I think it'll be appropriate to show my girls making Mr. Right. I'll probably struggle <laughs> through that sentence. But, uh, yeah, here we are on the show. But, yes, today, I mean, it's uh, when this airs, summer will be here. It'll have been here for a week. Actually, Summer was here probably last episode, but we didn't comment on it. So, yeah, Summer and Summertime Movies, Blockbusters. Now, you're asking about 1989 being the biggest summer ever. I don't know. When I look at the list of movies that we're going to be talking about, I'm wondering, is it this list or is it just that for me? Because, what was it, 1989, I would have been in eighth grade. And going into the summer, it was the most aware I had been up to that point of how movie releases work, of how... Blockbuster, you know, what blockbusters are. I think I had started watching Entertainment Tonight. I think I had started probably reading Premiere Magazine, following things here and there. So yeah. I went, <clears throat> excuse me, I went into the summer excited for that. So yeah, I, and when I look at it, I think 1989, in terms of pure spectacle and anticipation, was the biggest summer of movies ever. 84 might be my favorite, but yeah, 89, I would think. What are your thoughts? Is, when I suggested talking about 1989, did anything come to your mind or hit you there? Uh, no, nothing really stood out. I, I didn't have a correlation between the year and the movies that, that uh, premiered that summer. Um, I, I didn't really start, although now that you've, you're talking about it and now that I've seen the list, I know exactly what you mean about this is like the first summer uh, where you anticipated uh, the movies and anticipated the blockbusters. Um, I just personally didn't have the year uh, in my head, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And there's one particular movie that I'm that we'll get to that that for me stands out as that blockbuster, that anticipated blockbuster. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I didn't really start. Uh, like doing the Entertainment Weekly stuff and, and the anticipation of movies and the planning my my weekends around movies until I was a little older in the 90s. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but this probably now that now that we're really talking about it, this might be like that that precursor, that little warm up to that because this is the summer I had a movie that I was dying to see. Yeah, I I mean I had a couple movies that we're going to talk about each of them that I just couldn't wait for. This was the first year let alone summer where I, I went to the movie theater just this summer alone when I was looking at the list counting over nine times 
which was a lot for me. We used to go to the movies once, maybe twice a year. We would go in the summer yeah. as a family and maybe catch something else. But this this summer alone, I went to nine different movies. I'm sure I went to stuff before that. I'm sure I went to stuff in the winter. Um, I mean, I didn't see nine separate movies, as we're going to see as I, a couple of these movies. And it was the first time I did this. I was seeing movies multiple times, the same movie. But I just remember the excitement leading up to this, mainly because I always think it was very particular TV specials that were on that were talking about the summer movies. And that's why this summer kind of stands out. So to start it off, um, there was a movie with Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum called Earth Girls Are Easy. Are you familiar with that movie? I'm familiar with it, yes. Do you remember it coming out or being uh, You know, I have a vague recollection of it being advertised. Um, I didn't see it in the theaters, um, but I, I do have a vague recollection of those advertisements. It struck me like it just it seemed like and I remember as a kid feeling like that's the kind of comedy I would like it. You know, it's aliens. It was fashion of the time. It, it, it was the music. I think I, I was intrigued by the look of, of Jeff Goldblum. But for some reason that and a movie called How I Got Into College, which is this ridiculous. It might even be one of the Zucker brothers who did airplanes movies just about a ridiculous comedy about this kid applying to colleges. I remember the ads for those in May and for some reason being very excited. I didn't see either of those in the theater, but there was just this buildup of, oh, here comes here comes some funny movies. Here comes some promoted movies. Here comes the summer. Mm. And so those two movies, um, a Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder movie called See No Evil, Hear No Evil, those have always seemed kind of like um, – like the gatekeeper to this summer. When I think back, I always think of those movies because I, I must have been seeing something prior to the summer that was released because I, I clearly remember the poster for See No Evil, Hear No Evil. I clearly remember the poster for Earth Girls Are Easy and the soundtrack. So I had those things, I guess, hanging around me just with the sense that the summer was coming. Back then, Memorial Day weekend or the weekend before is kind of when the summer started. And this particular summer, 1989, May had three films that I think were considered blockbuster hits or blockbuster magic. Are you familiar with the currently stage play, but originally cinematic piece of wonder writing, Roadhouse? I'm very familiar. Well, I, I guess I'm not very familiar, but I am familiar with Roadhouse. Yes. Have you seen it? I've actually never seen it all the uh, way through. I, I have seen it. I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it on cable, but I have seen it. I saw it at a very impressionable, you know, teenage boy age. So there are certain scenes I remember probably more than others. Uh, Is it good? I don't remember it being Good. I've only seen the opening maybe 20 minutes. So. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I wasn't watching it for good. I was watching it for nudity. Um, is there nudity in Roadhouse? It's yeah. PG-13, I thought. Is there? Is it? Is it? Is, is there it? nudity? There isn't in the first 20't minutes. There's a blind uh, guitarist that's, named Jeff that's Healy. That's the one with uh, Kelly Lynch. Is that the right name? Um, no, it's the one with Patrick Swayze, but they're very similar. It's weird because it's a movie. It's it's a cult movie now. It's one of those things yeah. that I think people think it's ridiculous. There's so many jokes on Family Guy about it, or one joke used so many times on Family Guy about it. It's one of those things people look at and kind of laugh at as a silly 80s movie. And yet I clearly, and this is always interesting, I think, when this happens, people went to the theater to see this. And it was considered a big hit. I feel like it was the first big release of the summer. That's funny because I have no recollection of Roadhouse uh, in theaters or advertised. Like my only experience with Roadhouse, my first memory of it even existing is just this random movie late night on cable. Um, so I don't know if that's because of the, the city I, that I grew up in, the town I grew up in, and that th this movie never made it to that theater. Uh, you know, not in New York, it's historically anti-Swayze, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> and they were pro Dick Van Patten for Dirty Dancing, so that makes sense. I don't know. And I don't – actually, I should have looked. I don't know if this actually did well in the box office. I just – I was very aware of it. And I wonder if it's one of those things where as a kid, am I aware of the movie? Or is it because Dirty Dancing, like I was very aware of that. I knew who Patrick Swayze was from that because yeah. my mother liked that movie and we saw that. I wonder if that's why. I was aware of this because another movie I was going to mention as being a big summer movie. And as I said, we have three movies to talk about. I was like, I'm not going to have anything to actually say about this movie. I, for some reason, alongside Roadhouse, really remember the summer of 1989 as being the summer of Clint Eastwood comedy, but without a chimpanzee. Pink Cadillac. I'm Do glad, you remember this movie? Yeah, I'm glad you didn't uh, compare Bernadette Peters to a chimpanzee. 
That's her name. I couldn't think of who the girl was. And yeah. it Bernadette Peters or I'm as sure not Carol Kane. Unfunny Carol Kane <laughs> is who she is. But yes. No, you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Not from Cookie, but from this. This movie, for some reason, because I must have known who Clint Eastwood was. I must have been aware of him as this tough guy somehow. Because that's just in the, in the pop culture zeitgeist as a kid. Yeah. I really remember this being released. I remember the poster. I remember commercials for it. I remember thinking, like, Clint Eastwood, that must be hilarious. And yet, I've never cared to see this movie. I don't know people who've seen it. But it's really tied into the next movie we're going to talk about, too, for some reason. Because I just feel like it came out around the same time the commercials. Wait, we're not going to talk more about Pink Cadillac before we move on to this third movie? Well, if you have something to say about Pink Cadillac that could be concisely whittled down to a 20- or 30-minute you know, uh, uh, highlight reel. Please go ahead. Now let's move on to the third movie. All right. All right. Um, but I, I guess similar to Roadhouse, Pink Cadillac, it's, it's interesting to me. And I don't know if you have it. These movies that were seemed so huge just in terms of how they were talked about or stars of the time. Yeah. And just that all it took was a year or two to pass. And no one I'm sure remembered that movie. They might remember the song by, by, I think it's Bruce Springsteen. Um, which is currently running through my head, but just it, it, it fades quickly. And I think summer of 89, we're going to see there's a lot of things that kind of, for some reason I was, and I'm curious if you are too, was very aware of, but they faded quickly. Kind of like our next movie, a little movie that surprisingly I saw twice in the theater. I will be, I'll be honest. This was the first movie of summer of 89 that I saw. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if others got to it, but I just remember liking enough to go back twice. Um, I saw a movie that came out at the end of May. I was kind of hotly anticipating uh, called um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Do you know it? I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. It came out in 1989. And, and I remember I saw it. I saw it at my friend Russ's birthday party, probably a week after it opened. And I saw it again later in the summer with my dad. This was to me the first big movie of the of 89 i think i was oh sure thrilled for this the idea because i hadn't seen temple of doom or raiders in the theater so the chance to see an indiana jones movie on a big screen blew my mind shot off the hat i wasn't wearing it did <laughs> yes and uh i think i also saw it twice in the theater oh, you did? um yeah uh fantastic i absolutely love this movie um uh, there was a time i think it was my favorite indiana jones movie probably because um, of the, the the time my age that I saw it, where I wasn't going back to to it, had, you know, with where others had already you know established their fandom, and I, I was new to it. This was new mm-hmm. to me at the same time that it was new to everybody else, um, and so I think that maybe influenced me for a long time. Um, I I have since I, I like Raiders a, a, a bit more, but I have such a, a, a fond memory and affinity to to this one because it was. It was my, it was, it was, it was, I, I wasn't out of the loop. I was with everybody else. It was, I was with everyone watching it for the first time. Um, I, I didn't have to come to it after the fact. It was there with me. Uh, I, I was right there at the start and that felt good. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I mimic a lot of that feeling and that's why this is so, so big to me. Like, you know, I saw the Star Wars movies in the theater and those are, those are big to me. And there were things I saw, Indiana Jones yeah, experiencing that with people. Because what? Raiders came out probably when we were five and six, respectively. So in a way, the character had always been there. And I knew these stories. And for a character that only had two movies, there was seemingly a big, rich history for him. So, yeah, to get there in the audience and be seeing these spectacles and these stunts on a giant screen, to just be sitting there. It was a Saturday afternoon, exactly where it should be. Um, I remember some of the trailers that played in front of it. I remembered walking through the lobby and the other posters that are up because we're going to be talking about all of those movies in a moment. It was just, I don't know, it was my it was my in for the summer, but it was also kind of this isolated moment. Like, I, just, I remember 1989 as kind of being combat at the box office. There were so many movies that were vying to be number one. Mm. Two in particular, I think so many things were coming out with sequels and with movies that were supposed to be high concept movies that it really did going into it. Just because, you know, at the time, again, I think just because I was watching Johnny Carson or Sunil Hall watching the news, like hearing celebrities talk about these things. There really was a sense of who's going to be number one this summer. And I, I was starting to get the idea that this is where the money's made. Last Crusade, which understandably is a huge movie because people love this character was a nice kind of innocent little before 
the battle lines were drawn for the summer. Last Crusade was this nice, exciting moment that I wasn't thinking about other movies. I wasn't comparing it to anything because this character already existed. This movie existed outside of newness. Like, I just loved it. And I didn't feel like it's a summer movie. I didn't feel like, oh, do I? Because I had this thing where I'd be like, well, what was my favorite movie? Was it Transformers the movie or Howard the Duck? That's how I spent 1986. And so going into this summer... As we talk about it, I think we're going to hear that I was trying to fight between three movies of what was my favorite summer movie, Last Crusade, because of this character and because of this connection from my childhood, was its own nice kind of quiet before the storm. A very adventurous movie, and I loved it, and I was so happy to see it again with my dad later in the summer, but just was its own kind of island, and I really liked that sense, this, that sense that this film with this iconic character and a very iconic film. I mean, it had a sense of finality to the story. It gave you some backstory. We, we discussed this a while back on the Temple of Doom episode a little bit, but yeah. Last Crusade, in a lot of ways, does everything a summer movie back then should have. Right. Without me thinking this is a summer movie, it had all the elements. It upped the ante from whatever you knew before. It was a big splash of just excitement from the beginning. There was swelling music and a lot of humor, a lot of humor in this movie. We should really do an episode on this because this movie might overdo the humor a little, but I've always loved it. And it was just this, you know, I when I think summer, I don't think Indiana Jones automatically. Like he's not the key figure, maybe because the only ones I've seen in the theater is this and the Kingdom of the Island of the Crystal Skull. Oh. So those kind of mar the summer. But sure. The type of movie that it is is really a perfect ideal summer movie, I think, perhaps, because it just feels fun. Right. This was a fun movie. But starting in June of 1989, movies for this summer were vying for space and attention. And I think that first week in June, we had two pretty high caliber sort of more intellectually stimulated <laughs> movies that came out that I'm very aware of. They're not, it's not necessarily movies that I would have gone to see, uh-huh. but there were movies I was uh-huh. aware of just because I think at 14, I was starting to be, or 13, becoming more of an adult and realizing what cinema can do, how it can touch you, how it doesn't just have to be spaceships and whips. The beginning of June, we have a movie I, I always forget about, and yet I used to watch it so often. Dead Poets Society came out at the start of June. Do, do, we should do this movie someday, I think. I mean, this was a very impactive movie to me. People enjoyed it, and it is one of the few dramas amongst this big summer. Do you, do you have memories of Dead Poets Society coming out? Uh, nope. I don't really have memories of Dead Poets uh, coming out in the theaters. Um I probably was vaguely aware, but my memories seem to start just uh, with with seeing it rerun on, on cable. Oh, I just remember thinking, because Robin Williams, obviously I knew him from Mork and Mindy. I knew him as this comedian, and this was dramatic Robin Williams, and I wanted to see it. Yeah. I think my brother saw it. He was a big fan. I think he, the poster may have even been up in his room. It was, just, it was one of those things where it's like, this is a drama, clearly a drama. And yet, as a 13-year-old, I was curious in seeing I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it, saw it shortly thereafter. And it's one of those movies that was played so often on videotape in school and at home, and it was so moving. And yet, I probably haven't been back to it in like 20 years, yeah. 25 years. So I'd be curious to see that now, just as I would be curious to see kind of a companion piece to it. <laughs> The uh, other movie that came out that weekend, I remember this because I think, I mainly remember it because in front of The Last Crusade, which I would have seen, I remember the trailer for this movie. Um, another period, well, it's a period piece now, 30 years later. Uh, no Holds Barred came out, I think, opposite of Dead Poet Society. Are you familiar with No Holds Barred is, as a movie? Is that the uh, Hulk Hogan starring uh, wrestling movie? That is the Hulk Hogan starring wrestling movie, and I... I'm so aware of it because I, I just remember the commercials for it. Hulk Hogan, wrestling, not stuff I ever followed, but very one of those things that was just very present in my life. I think my brother enjoyed wrestling. They were very cartoony characters. They had a Saturday morning cartoon. They did advertisements. Sergeant Slaughter was on G.I. Joe. Like yeah. I was aware of wrestlers. So this idea of Hulk Hogan in a movie playing what I thought was Hulk Hogan, there was a different name for this character, and I did not do the research on this. <laughs> I so remember this movie coming out. I just remember constantly seeing this weird shot of him jumping out of a car in slow motion. I remember, you know, just people, I guess, were excited for Hulk Hogan. I, and I just, I so remember right in front of Last Crusade, you know, it was after a Saturday morning of watching The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling on TV. We went to the theater, and this was one of the trailers we saw. He was a big name. This idea of Hulk Hogan on the big screen in the summer, not a movie I'd ever see, but something that just felt right. I mean, are there, I guess like The Rock does it now and stuff like that, but I, I have a hard time now thinking of who are the big name 
characters that get to the big screen and you're like, oh, okay, that's going to be a blockbuster. Can you think of anyone recently? I mean characters too, like Hulk Hogan was a character. Like It's not like we're watching, oh, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory is making a movie. Are there right. characters like this still? And are they just wrestlers? Because I guess The Rock is an example of this. Yeah, The Rock, I and, guess. Yeah, I mean, but but you know, The Rock did it in a different way where he actually didn't play a wrestler. You know, it wasn't like... Well, he played a Scorpion King, yeah, I that's, think. That's, that was, I think. I think, his first big one, the Scorpion King, um, which... Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm trying to think if there's a pre-established character that, uh, like, recent that's taken their personality to the big screen. I'd have to. There might be comedians. I feel like some comedians become parodies. You know, maybe now we know it's a Mark Wahlberg comedy or it's a Kevin Hart comedy. Maybe there's something we're expecting from the persona. Also, it might just be age. Like, I think. 89 would have been the one of the last few years where I wasn't really making this the distinction even though I knew they were separate of actor versus character and so like a persona like Hulk Hogan in a movie is something that would have stoked me probably at 13 even though I, I didn't care for wrestling but just knew that there was I would have called it oh that's the Hulk Hogan movie I think very shortly after the summer no I would have just thought that's a dumb looking movie or that's a wrestling movie <laughs> yeah. or he's got a real name like I would have made it my point almost to find out well who are the people behind the people but Hulk Hogan in No Holds Barred it was clearly the persona of Hulk Hogan they took that persona and put and that persona is now playing a character there's no depth there's no real range he's playing a wrestler it's like when a comedian plays a comedian or even more so a comedian with their own name it's like there's not necessarily range I'm sure it's hard to do but yeah No Holds Barred I'm just mentioning now because I think it was sort of the tail end of that being fascinated by tv celebrity you know like Wee herman getting in a movie or sure. Ernest getting in a movie and not thinking it's an actor playing Ernest in a movie where Ernest does something but it's like oh they put Ernest in this situation yeah and if there's any comparison between any two pop culture icons that i think is so perfect and so similar you're like separated at birth it would be Ernest p worrell and hulk uh hogan yeah it's too bad they never got a movie together did they not you know what <laughs> they, they might have Following that week, as we got into June, this is when I think it became the summer of the sequels and the summer of just big action spectacle. Because I think the next three movies that we're, we're, we're going to talk about are the three movies that I feel were vying for attention, at least in my mind, in 1989. And the first one to come out, the f and the second big sequel to come out this summer, if we count Last Crusade, is a movie that I, I have to admit, I've never seen it in its full entirety. I've come close, but it's on TV, so I've taken some breaks. Uh, Star Trek V... The Final Frontier. Are you a Star Trek fan in any way or shape or form? We haven't really discussed that I, on the show. I guess I'm a mild Star Trek fan. Um, I've, I've watched the original series uh, when I was a kid. I would watch those reruns and very much enjoyed it. I didn't follow it to the theaters. I didn't see all the movies. I, I've seen many of them. Um, and I think I've seen The Final Frontier. Is this the one with... Uh, Um, is this the one with William Shatner? Um, I think William Shatner is in this one. Yes, he's he's playing a Starfleet captain. No, but I'm trying to I think he also directed this one. Yeah. This is the one directed by William Shatner. I, um, to tell you a couple of characters who are in it, maybe this will jog your memory. Uh, there's a Vulcan who looks like Sean Connery and talks like Sean Connery and initially was Sean Connery until he did Last Crusade. Um there is, I think, a character, uh, God, is in the movie as a character. I think at the end they actually face God, but it's an alien pretending to be God. Um, it's got, I think, a comical scene of Scotty hitting his head on the Enterprise. It has a dance sequence for Uhura. Um, it's got Sulu in it. This movie, following, because the Star Trek franchise with the original cast was a pretty successful franchise through the 80s. I enjoyed it. I watched it with my dad. I, I always watched them on video. I didn't go to the theater for them. But Star Trek IV, the one where they travel back in time, had come out a couple years before, and that one was a very comical one that did very well. So going into five, they amped up the comedy. It was played, I think, greatly for laughs. And this, this is the first movie that as a kid, I remember gauging that, oh, it failed. Mm. Like, people do, do not respond to Star Trek V well that I know of. They look at it as being too funny, too goofy, poorly directed. And I think in a summer where you have all these sequels coming in, I think they thought Star Trek V, Star Trek can do no wrong. And this sequel went belly up. It may have done well for money, but I just remember scathing reviews. 
I just remember fans of the franchise who I knew hating it. I just, and it was kind of my first real impression of, of when something disappoints in the theater. Cause I mean, I don't think I'd ever not enjoyed a movie at the theater by 1989. I think I always enjoyed movies cause I enjoyed the experience, but hearing people not like a movie and hearing people not like a Star Trek movie and kind of being like, Oh, so that one didn't live up to the hype was a sensation that I got for the, you know, within the week that it came out. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, and I'm just trying to think actually the name I was trying to think of before, uh, William Shatner was Malcolm McDowell. He, oh no, he's in Star Trek Generations. It, th- is that the that one after this? Five years later. Um, it's two after two this. After it's the first this. one with Picard and 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 Riker okay. and and all of them. Um. So no. And Malcolm McDowell. Um. Yeah, I have I have not seen five because I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember the the comedy, uh, being amped. Well, up. a lot of people don't remember the comedy, but that was a statement I recall that it's attempts at comedy. Yeah. I guess might be there. They sing row, row, row your boat in a scene and around because I think uh, Spock, uh, Bones, and, and, and Kirk are, are camping and, and they sing it. And, and I think the line, life is but a dream, is given a lot of dramatic uh, weight. <laughs> wow. I think they, they make marshmallows or they eat marshmallows. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a ludicrous film. And, but it was one of the three movies, I think, that was vying to be the big movie. The next one, the one that I think I was most excited for, and it's also the first movie I ever saw on opening night, so I remember it very well. It was June 16th, 16th or 18th? June 16th, um, a little follow-up to what at that point even was my favorite movie of all time. Do you remember in 1989, Ghostbusters 2? I do. I remember Ghostbusters 2. I remember the lead-up to Ghostbusters 2. Um, I was very, very excited for Ghostbusters 2. Did you see it in the theater? I did. I did see it in the theater, and I was I was let down when I saw it in the theater. You were. Yeah, when you saw it in the theater, uh huh. Um, I I came away uh, feeling let down. It wasn't as good as one. Like this is probably maybe the first sequel where I even had that sort of um, conscious thought of it not living up to what I had hoped. Really? Yeah, I had uh, I had watched. I remember I have this very strong visual memory of watching, and I think we've even talked about this on previous episode um, of watching a NBC half hour special on the making of Ghostbusters Two uh, mm-hmm. as a lead up, as a little um, network advertisement for it, uh, and was really excited. Probably more excited than I've been for a movie, uh, you know, uh, my whole life. Uh, even more so than Last Crusade. Um, the I could. It was just great to see them in their costumes and to see them behind the scenes. And and I, this is what I think I've mentioned before. I really remember this moment at the end where Rick Moranis was like, "This is great. I love these movies. I love doing this. I want to do it every week." <laughs> Uh, it should be a series every week on NBC, Ghostbusters. And I was like, yes, there should be, because how can this ever go wrong? Um, and then I saw the movie, and I was I was let down. I didn't think it was as funny. I didn't think it was as exciting. Yeah. There was a lot going for me just into this movie, because, again, it was the first movie I ever saw on opening day. Um, it was something we had to get tickets for, wait in line for. I'd never waited in a long line for tickets. I remember going with my brother, my friend Nate, and then just some older guy who was a friend of the family who took us. So it wasn't like my parents were there. So it was like a night out. The theater was packed. I had, um, I think I got a, a pin, a Ghostbusters 2 pin for going opening night. Um, I already had a poster up on my wall. I already had the soundtrack, so I knew all the songs going into it. I was so psyched for this movie, and I just loved the first Ghostbusters that I don't think it could have disappointed me. They could have removed all elements of ghosts and busting from the movie and just seeing these actors on the screen or just being in the theater of people with it. I just remember because it starts off with the Ghostbuster insignia and the ghost holds up two fingers. I remember the theater people shouting out, two, for no dumb reason, (laughs) and just being so caught up in that. I loved the experience of this movie and for years loved this movie. I found it funny. We talked about this a little bit, I think, on the real Ghostbusters episode. I think Ghostbusters 2, by that point, the movie, it was a kid's thing more than, you know, it wasn't necessarily people who loved Saturday Night Live going to see this this comedy about ghosts. It was kids who loved the cartoon going to the movie, so the movie adapted for that. But I loved it. 
and it was a big deal. It opened big. It was what they thought would be the big blockbuster of the summer, or at least they they, they were, you know, the people working on it did. And I saw it twice. I, I went back to see it again because I just I loved that movie so much. It doesn't hold up now. It definitely isn't something I go back to, but that week of seeing it on that Friday, I had never had that experience before. A crowded, packed fucking theater of people just laughing at these characters, a topic I loved, Ghosts, and a follow-up to my favorite movie. So yeah, for one week in the summer of 1989, Ghostbusters 2 was my favorite movie. Until the following week. When people look back at 1989, the summer of 89 and the build-up to 89, I think what people remember is a sense of mania, of t-shirt mania, of poster mania, of watch and earring mania, all based around a single, one anticipated, unknown, unproven possibility at the box office for success or failure, divisive, huge, just enormous following for a movie that probably was the event of the 1980s, and I remember the push for it, and June 23rd is one that hit the screen. I'm talking about a twofer for Rick Moranis, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> That's a movie that my sister saw at a drive-in. Um, apparently, it was a really big movie for people. I've never seen it, but that weekend, the weekend that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out, another movie hit the screens that I think we all saw the poster for and we all were wearing shirts for, and I went opening night for this, uh-huh. The week after Ghostbusters 2 going to the opening night for a movie that had yet to hit the screens and I had all the anticipation of the world of just how is this going to hit me? How dark can this be? What will this shift for the pop culture landscape? I am talking about Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, and Robert Wool in Batman. Absolutely. I was not a kid who bought or collected comic books, but I bought some Batman comic books, some... some uh, um, collections um, and my brother I think my brother went even more overboard he bought more t-shirts and more comic books <laughs> and uh, yeah it was a phenomenon like I had never seen before and I got swept right Bigger up into than the it. movie itself yeah I had never maybe I just wasn't aware of it because again Star Wars was all encompassing in my life Transformers were all encompassing my life Beatles were encompassing my parents life but the bat the summer and this is why I think 89 sticks out for me it be, immediately became the summer of Batman I mean even leading up to it with the Prince songs on the radio with the shirts like we're talking about with all the promotion there was just this, it was everywhere. Yeah. It, the insignia, the perfectly designed insignia, which was however many years old at that point, maybe closing in on 50. I don't know when they added the oval to the back of the bat. Um, but I'm sure someone listening would tell me and be like the, the, the skilled, knowledgeable person on Batman. I should have known that. But, but, but the, the point is, it was just, it was so, you couldn't turn and not see Batman. So the movie itself had two had this huge mythic quality. And I think a lot of people were expecting it to fail. I think comic book fans were a little unsure or very unsure about Michael Keaton's role as Batman. I think people were just, whenever something gets that hyped, people almost want it to fail. So leading up to Batman, the, the buzz and the drive and this nation and talking about it, it, it did feel like nothing can contain this giant movie. But at the same time, no one had seen it yet. So who know, who would know how it would play out? Yeah. And so I remember I went to an afternoon showing on opening day, sitting in that theater. And it's weird because I remember the trailers very clearly. Right before it, there were two trailers, um, and I saw them three times because I went back to see Batman three times. There's a Lethal Weapon 2 trailer and a uh, Young Einstein trailer that I have so attached to this movie because they played both right before it. And I had never felt the anticipation I felt through each of those trailers. I had never felt like every second leading up to this movie was excruciatingly slow. I've, I've, I've felt it since when I see The Force Awakens. Um, I'm sure other movies as well. I think when I went to see Wonder Woman, like this idea of this buildup, but the buildup just sitting in the theater surrounded with my Batman shirt that was probably glowing in the dark still, with just people rustling all around me, with, just with this feeling, because I think it was, I don't think there were any adults with me. I think it was me and two of my friends just sitting there. And then, you know, the trailers end, the Warner Brothers insignia comes up, it goes to bluish, and then the Danny Elfman themes start. And then from that moment on, for some reason, to my eyes, I was seeing stuff that had never been portrayed before. I was seeing an exaggeration of visuals. I was seeing a man in a costume who was Batman. I was seeing a dark, bleak superhero movie. That was the impression because I was the perfect age to see Batman. 
looked at now, it's still a beautifully made movie. It's kind of campy and cartoony, and it's more Jack Nicholson than the Joker, more the Joker than Batman. Yeah. But that movie exploded. Yeah. That was the highest grossing movie of the year. It, nothing in my lifetime that I was aware of had hit like that. And when it came out, I immediately forgot about Ghostbusters 2. I yep. immediately forgot about Last Crusade. And for that weekend, and when I went back to see it a couple times, it was all about the visuals. And then the car drove by, <laughs> but it's got a rocket in the back because he came through the uh, the skylight and the Joker wants the toys. And suddenly the grappling <laughs> hook's there. And then they're in the clock tower. It was so much to talk about. And it all, the excitement that I have and the memory I have of that all is bigger than the movie itself. And that's really how that movie worked. Yeah. You just went in dressed and thinking and being Batman. This was my and first midnight movie for me. I, oh, you went to, you went to the midnight show yeah. of Batman. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and how was that? What was that experience like for you? Because, again, you're 14. It, you're going much later than people go to movies. Yeah, it was, it was great. I went with my brother. We had our T-shirts on. Um, there were, it was, it was, it was uh, like, I was at that age, like the, my pop culture experiences was, was pretty isolated in that I was enjoying something mm-hmm. on my own terms at my own time, um, by myself. And even my anticipation for this movie, um, I guess I, yeah, I shared it with my brother, but we did that, you know, in our own home, you know, on our own time. And it was great. I can't remember who was there, but I remember when I got there, I was like, Oh wow, you are excited for this movie too. Oh, you're here too. Um, you know, my friends from from high school and even like, oh, that guy who I recognize around town is also here. That's so crazy. Um, and so it was like suddenly I, I went from having this this personal anticipation to this shared experience uh at a midnight show and uh I was concerned that I wasn't gonna stay awake through the movie, but <laughs> the, the movie obviously kept me wide awake. It was it was great. It was yeah. You're saying uh, the the age. It was the perfect age. You were like couldn't have been. You know, if you were older, you might have been a little bit more cynical. If you were younger, it might have been too weird or too scary. Uh, but yeah, it was it was perfect. Perfect timing for us. And I just think what you described about yeah the the showing 1989 is the first that summer is the first time I ever had to wait in line like a yeah, long line yeah. for a movie it was the first time I was ever nervous that what if we don't get in <laughs> and Ghostbusters two and Batman were like that because it's just yeah waiting in a line that wrapped around the Jilson Cinema shit Cinema in Willamette Connecticut where I went to see movies because we didn't have stadium seating back then it was just was exciting to get to get in there and to sit down in the uncomfortable chair and just you know have to sit towards the back because it already filled up but you're just waiting and that feeling of you're right the community 89 summer of 89 is when i really felt the feeling of the movie community and what it meant to see a movie in the theater and i think that so far last crusade ghostbusters 2 and batman are all key moments of that happening because you're right, you were talking about you and your brother in your house. Prior to that, movies were a very private thing for me, I, which I liked. I liked that experience. They were mine. I liked seeing them in the theater. But it might be the family. We might be able to drive it in a car. It was never this idea that I'm with people I don't know and we're all sharing in the immediacy and applauding. Like I remember applauding when Batman crashed through that skylight. Hmm. I remember everyone applauding when the Batmobile was revealed. It's like, it's a car. We've seen the shot a thousand times on in the trailers and, and in the making of books. But for some reason, we cheered this inanimate device. We cheered for it because we were all so caught up into it. And yeah, Batman overshadows i think the rest of the summer of which there's still two months to kind of blow through but yeah it was an amazing experience and one that i'll never have again i think batman was a key cinematic experience that if i was a little older maybe i would be a little bitter towards but i was the right age to experience hype merchandise and a film that i think does deliver i think batman it's a much smaller movie now when i watch it but living in the in that moment of 89, the summer of 89, amongst all these other movies, being one of the only non-sequels to be vying for attention, that was a big deal. Like, I remember that clearly. Like, I, I remember that night after seeing it, going back to uh, my friends uh, Jake and Matt, the Rosconis, who I was friends with. I stayed over at their house because that's who I saw it with. And I think the 1960s Batman movie was on TV that night because it happened to be the opening night. And we probably had toys or trading cards. It's just it was everywhere. Trading cards, yeah. And that my, was a great my, my brother got lots of trading cards, um, which we had yeah, never gotten Yellow before. bordered ones uh-huh. and white border ones. Yeah. And I think the yellow border ones were behind the scenes. White border ones were I actually, about the movie. But I actually yeah. have some of those in my house right now. 
Oh, yeah, because really? uh, how do you, how do you, how do you get those? Uh, I went home uh, last summer, or maybe it was the summer before, and I just brought home some old kid stuff, uh, uh, like my little muscle characters, my muscle guys. I brought those home, and then my mom had kept a whole stack of trading cards uh, for Batman and mostly wrestling cards that my brother had collected. These are all my brothers. Uh, no um, holds barred cards. No, no holds barred cards. Just just no, no the WWF cards. cards. Um, so just straightforward wrestling. So, so wrestling. yeah. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll uh, scan some of them, send send them your way, so you can see what I've got. See if you had them too. That'd be awesome. No, I love those cards. And again, Batman played for the entire summer. I mean, it was just there. It it it, it just existed with its cowl over the months of the end of June, July, and August. Moving into July, yeah. which, because, you know, we do want to talk about the rest of the summer Yeah, well, here. and here, here's the thing. I'm looking ahead at the rest of the summer. It looks like my summer stopped after Batman. Um, oh, really? Yeah, my movie-going summer. Because there's still some big movies to come out, a couple of which I saw. Um, we can go through them pretty quick then, because your memory it may be a little different than experiencing. I just, I, I do think that 89 was an important summer, and I think a couple other big things came out. Yeah. Worth mentioning, um, July, following up on Batman, I think in the first or second week of July, we got a double dose of releases once again, um, it being Weekend at Bernie's mm-hmm. and Lethal Weapon 2. Um, Weekend at Bernie's, I know I saw, and I remember that from the summer of 89 as being the funniest goddamn thing I ever saw for some reason, and we'll talk about that on another episode. I just Weekend at Bernie's, it's just this dumb, small, <laughs> tiny little comedy floating in the summer of giant sci-fi and action spectacles, and for some reason, just randomly going to it last minute with my brother and one of his friends one afternoon without really knowing anything but the funny commercials, uh-huh. and really loving it. Awesome. it w- I mean, I must have seen it a month after it came out, because this was in August, I think, but yeah, it really was this tiny little, here's a movie that, you know, the kind of movie I would never go see in the theater now. I might watch it, you know, or catch clips of it on, you know, whatever UHF channel is running it. It's not the kind of thing I would normally have gone to, and yet I loved it. It was a dumb comedy. But Lethal Weapon 2, this movie for some reason was promoted up the wazoo. And I'd, again, like to do a show on this one someday sure. because the Lethal Weapon movies, my brother really liked them. He loved this one. He saw it in the theater. I have to say, I saw Lethal Weapon 2 first, and I saw. Well, three and four i don't think i've ever seen all of one and lethal weapon 2 is enjoyable it's very funny it's very action-packed i remember it as being very emotional and i'm curious is it a traditional 80s action movie was it doing something else or is my memory just misshapened a little bit and now because of what mel gibson is it'll be hard to watch the film but yeah lethal weapon was a big movie that summer and one where it's like i don't think many people knew the original but the sequel did really well Oh yeah, I like I don't have a a memory or a history of the the Lethal Weapon franchise like uh, between it was a big between deal. one and two, yeah, uh, three was huge. I remember three being like in my face all the time, um, but I don't mm. remember two being promoted. Um, I don't remember Lethal Weapon existing, you know, prior to the yeah. sequels. I d- I don't remember the first one. I did kind of the VHS tape because I remember the, the the logo. But no, Lethal Weapon 2, I remember the trailer with the little sound effects at the beginning and how it all started. And it just, it really, people really warmed up to that movie. Hmm. Yeah. Um, another action movie of that time that I don't think people remember fondly, but I remember because of the movie posters for it. License to Kill came out a week or two after Lethal Weapon 2. It was the second Timothy Dalton James Bond movie, the last of his and the last of the... James Bond movies before I think it kind of got a little retooled with Pierce Bronson a few years ago. License to Kill came out that summer. Probably did well because it's always a big character. I just remember this magazine called Premier Magazine that I was into. It was a monthly magazine all about movies. And they had a little article about poster design. They had like five different charcoal and crayon early versions of the movie posters that were designed and then what the actual movie poster was for License to Kill. I remember just staring at those images for hours because I was fascinated with how it was designed. License to Kill, I've never seen, could care less about, but this idea of how it was promoted and the art that went into it fascinated me. I think my dad and my brother enjoyed James Bond, so it is one of those characters I was uh, succinctly aware of. I just wasn't into. But this idea of 
here's the art to promote the movie and how that works was fascinating to me. Did you, did you read Premier Magazine? Was that something you were familiar uh, with? I was familiar with it, but I didn't read it. It wasn't a regular thing. Um, didn't have a subscription. Wasn't picking it up every week or every month whenever it came out. Um, but mm-hmm. I did, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed those things. I think I got more into that, like I said, kind of in the 90s um, sure. when I was going to the movies more often. Um, but, yeah, no, I love the, the concept of design. I enjoy that even today, just kind of reading about uh, and, and seeing how they come up with those concepts and, and what's going to work for for the movie, what's going to work for the person at home, what's going to grab them. Um, yeah. But I, I, I find it interesting. And, and I also haven't seen, or if I did, I have no recollection of License to Kill. Um, it must not have been a great film since we're talking more about its poster art than the movie itself. Well, we're also talking about it in the conjuncture of this summer. You know, sure. I, mean, I think James Bond movies, if you're a fan of James Bond, you, 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 you track him down. We're talking about a movie in July, the heat of July in the summer where we're just, you know, as kids and having still rely on people to drive us are seeing the movies we can see. And, you know, we've seen Ghostbusters, we've seen Batman, License to Kill kind of got lost in that maybe because it's another action movie. Like I would feel like that in Lethal Weapon 2, you'd probably see one or not the other. Another movie that came out, and we're talking about ads and stuff. I loved the ads for this when I would see them on TV, and I wanted to see the movie. We've talked about it numerous <laughs> times on the show, but we've never talked about it as an episode, and we really need to do that. Maybe we can do that for the 25th anniversary episode. Uh, when Harry Met Sally had its slow rollout release through the month of July. Do you remember this movie being advertised I, and coming yeah, out? Yeah, I do remember it. I, yeah, you talk about the visual of it. I remember... I, I remember having this weird fascination with the fall poster uh, yes. in the summer. Very memorable. Yes, right? Yeah. That's a that's a good point. That was very striking. I remember seeing that every time I went to see Batman, that poster was up. It was kind of like the adult movie, and I was fascinated to see it. I thought it looked funny. It's a movie that existed that summer through the ads, but also through just hearing every, you know, it, it, that's another movie whereas Batman was catching maybe the mass pop culture zeitgeist, that was catching the adults in love kind of zeitgeist. And those are, when I think of 89, those are actually the two movies I think of, Batman and When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. A movie I don't think people, oh No, yes, I was going to say, what, what movie don't they think of? I don't think enough people think of UHF. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic's One Soul starring movie. Um, it came out that July. I saw it at a drive-in. Actually, I saw it when my sister was seeing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I think. She was in a car with my dad. And this, I remember, it was me and my two friends. We had folding chairs. We had a little boom box. And we were sitting right there in what, where the car would normally park watching UHF getting eaten alive by mosquitoes at the local Mansfield drive-in. And this movie... In the summer of big movies, Ghostbusters 2, Bat movie, uh, Batman, excuse me, Bat movie, <laughs> um, UHF was a movie that at that time I felt was made for me. You talk about how we talk about saying things were made for me. You said it in the Superman 2 episode. We've probably said it numerous times. UHF, when I saw it, and to this day I get why, that movie was made for me. Yeah. And seeing it that summer at a drive-in in an uncomfortable setting in a bizarre way where everyone else is in cars and look at us, we're the quirky kids in folding <laughs> chairs, which is not quirky. People probably do all the time. All of that just worked. Yeah. That is how one, I guess, should see this Weird Al movie. Not in a crowded theater. I don't know if people, if there was a crowded theater that ever showed UHF, not in a theater, but it was just the perfect experience. Different kind of movie in a summer where I was just overwhelmed. This and Weekend at Bernie's when I was overwhelmed by the superhero and sci-fi in a good way. This is a nice kind of outlier, and it just tied into my love of life of Weird Al and his music. And I got the soundtrack, and it was it was the movie that no one else saw. I was explaining it to people, and nobody else but my two friends I went with really saw the movie, so it was very much ours. And I loved it. Have you ever seen UHF? You know what? I have not. Um, that summer, you're talking about how only a couple people saw it. There seemed like everyone that I knew saw it. Uh, growing up. Oh, really? And I say everyone, but it was probably just these three or four guys that uh, were, were childhood friends. Uh, I was just sort of starting to get into their circle of friendship, uh, but they had seen it. I had not seen it. They raved about it and laughed about it and had inside jokes about it. And that sort of turned me off to it. You know, how when, oh, when yeah. you know, everyone's <laughs> into something that you have not experienced. So you either are going to rush out and experience it or you're going to just be put off by it. And I was put off by it. I was a d- OK fan of, of Weird Al. I enjoyed the, the song parodies, mm-hmm. but um, I wasn't a giant. I didn't have any of these, his albums or anything. Um, so, no, mm-hmm. I never got to see it. 
Um, I've seen bits here and there since, but I've never actually sat down and watched the movie beginning to end. I'm not sure if the movie holds up, but my experience seeing it was so powerful that that is there when I watch it. So I, I do go back and watch this from time to time. It, it is very much an encapsulation of my childhood, yeah. and I loved it. Uh, we should probably start wrapping our summer up here by jumping real quick through August. Sure. Unless you wanted to talk Turner and Hooch, which came out in July. No, didn't see Turner and Hooch. James Cameron's movie, The Abyss. Have you ever seen that? You know, I have. I didn't see it in the theater, though, and that disappointed me. I remember no, I anticipating I. The Abyss. Um, the mm-hmm. visuals that I was seeing of the water creature or alien or whatever That's it was. Some of the earliest computer Yeah, effects. I just thought yeah. that was amazing. And I, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio's in this, right? She is, did, yes. did Robin Hood come out before this? Robin Hood was after, after this. this. I was 91. Um, That's why I knew who she yeah. was. I knew her from the abyss. Um, I had such a crush on her from the Robin Hood really? movie. Yeah. And so I okay. think I, I became, I wasn't able to see or didn't see this in the theater of the abyss. Um, and I tried watching it on cable a few times in my youth and it just didn't grab me, you know, cause it's mm. different when you're, when you're sitting down in the theater and you're watching it, you've got nothing else. That's what, what you're there for. Um, I think when I sat down to watch the abyss finally, when it was on in an afternoon, uh, and I was seeing it or a free cable weekend, there was other stuff going on. And, and, and I remember the story. I, I still don't think I've seen it completely, but I remember it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, a thoughtful, uh, philosophical, slow-moving movie, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, no, it's very thoughtful. I think you're right with that. It's very claustrophobic. It's this and Terminator 2 are my two favorite James Cameron movies. I think he really, what he does well in a movie with characters, what he does well with pacing and space, like The Abyss is really works and that's another movie from premiere magazine i just remember reading all about the production because it sounds like it was a hellish production yeah. a very scary time for everyone james cameron and those yeah, articles does not that. come across very well so all of that was there but this movie kind of came and went very quickly but i once it came to video maybe or once it came to cable i think i taped it off of like you were saying a free cable weekend and i just kept going back to this yeah. movie i love the abyss and i haven't seen it in a we while we should go I'll back to, to it, it we out. should go back to it i think i've seen it once from beginning to end um mm-hmm. or i've at least well, there's two versions too yeah. there's a much longer version that explains it a little better which i do like and then there's the theater cut which is you know again it's if it's you know it was the first way i saw it and it's not it takes out some of the bigger earth-shattering drama and it makes it a little more intimate which is fine yeah. but yeah we should definitely talk yeah, about I'd love it to. um two other movies real quick i guess that came out in august that are worth mentioning uh parenthood do you know this movie this serious steve martin movie um, that came out i do know is it a serious movie i've never it's i've never seen parenthood That's... it's another one of those that for whatever reason oh. um kids that i knew had seen it and were quoting it and yeah. talking about it and so i was like no nah, i don't care about it anymore it's a huge it's a huge ensemble it's a yeah. comedy but a huge ensemble first place i ever saw a dildo has <laughs> steve martin it has rick moranis but it's serious in that steve martin it's not slapsticky it's just coming a couple years after roxanne and i love steve martin and i was a big fan of him by 1989 and the new roxanne was the start of the more intellectual comedy side of steve martin that i really liked in parenthood he plays a real adult and it seemed like a shift but I don't know. This was a movie my parents liked it. I just it came out at the end of the summer. It was the last big movie I feel like because this one did very well in the theaters. Yeah, I remember it. Spawned it's a Ron Howard, isn't it? Yeah, he directed it. Babalu Mandel and something Bob Gantz who used to write for like Happy Days and Laverne Shirley. They wrote it. It's worth seeing. I used to watch it a lot. I haven't seen it in years. But it's one of those things where it's like it's a drama, a comedy drama, I guess buried in the summer of blockbusters and it did really well it was one of the top grossing movies of the year um one of the bottom grossing <laughs> movies of the year and we've already mentioned it earlier a, a film that came and went so quickly and yet i was so aware of it because of its promotion a film that after crocodile dundee the bane of godzilla 1985 <laughs> after that movie at the time at least was the second biggest movie ever released in australia it was supposed to be a big hit here with its awesome soundtrack, which it does have a pretty cool soundtrack with this hip outsider Tasmanian character, Yahoo Sirius's Young Einstein. Yeah. 
or as a lot of people call the movie, Yahoo Serious, because it was difficult to separate those two. Young Einstein, and I watched some clips of it last night, which were hard to find, just because I've never seen this movie. I was so aware of it because the trailer played in front of Batman. It was promoted all summer. That fucking poster was everywhere. My friend Nate had the cassette soundtrack, which I think I now have. It is a great soundtrack, but the movie itself, awful, (laughs) ridiculous, very small, quirky, whatever, but... Something there must have been something lovable about it. People loved it. It did terribly in America. It just came and went. And it was after because it was in August. It was after a summer of really promoting it. He was on MTV. He was on all these talk shows. The actor Yahoo Serious. And it just I think they really were expecting like a God's must be crazy imported hit from Hmm. this. And they did not get I, it. I don't have a lot of history with this one. Is it is it similar to uh, No Holds Barred in that it's like a character kind of personality that they put into a movie? I don't know because our, you know, America's introduction or my introduction to Yahoo Serious was from this movie. I don't know what he was like over there. I know that he was, he wrote it, he directed it. I think he was well liked for the time. He was a personality in Australia, but this was kind of like them bring, it'd be like if they sent Pee Wee Herman say to Syria and it's like, do a movie <laughs> here. You know, like they may not know him coming in and then they don't get the references right. or he doesn't have the pre-built of whatever it is that got him to this pedestal. Us, you know, just big top peewee on its own may not be a big hit. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yahoo Sirius is sort of a fascinating character in that I don't get him. I've watched all the clips I can find. He kind of disappeared for like, like when I was looking at ya- uh, Young Einstein clips, I found an article where it's like, Yahoo Sirius seen in public first time in 16 cool. years. <laughs> I mean, I think he's seen, but just he dropped out of entertainment. Sure. He doesn't act. He doesn't write. I think he was kind of like a, you know, like an Orson Welles type in that he wrote and directed it and, and had solid control over everything he did and had this persona. And I guess it just, it didn't travel over yeah. here well. And I think of all the summers in the movie, or all the, the movies <laughs> of the summer, Jesus, this was probably the one that tanked the most. I was looking at a list of the hundred biggest or top grossing to bottom of the year. Yeah. And Young Einstein clocked in at 79. Uh wedged between police academy six and who's harry crumb so i mean it's barely a footnote in america i'd love to know where uh eddie and the cruisers two falls on that list <laughs> i would have too but i did not see it <laughs> a movie that i was strangely aware of but never saw uh, you know i i became uh, i was a fan of eddie and the cruisers um oh really oh i, I thought you were making a joke because no, it was on our list I, this, you know it though. uh yeah i know eddie and the cruisers i have never seen eddie and the cruisers too but i remembered seeing eddie and the <laughs> you're cruisers in good company again on cable probably at my babysitter that that one babysitter Felt year the horish babysitter bathroom <laughs> yeah i'll take out horish but i'll leave but that, the bathroom. that that movie i really liked at that age i don't know how old i was when i saw it but is it a fake documentary? It's sort of. It's, it's about a. It, it's not. I don't think it's documentary style, but it's it's okay. like supposedly kind of a fake based on a true story, you know. So it's got like people yeah. remembering what happened to to Eddie and how the band, you know. So formed. two big spoilers here. Two big spoilers. And Eddie and the Cruisers. Eddie dies, right? That's what's implied. And then in Eddie and the Cruisers two, Eddie lives. The spoiler there. Eddie lives. Yeah, but I think he dies at the end. No, I don't know. Um, but did you have an intention to see? No, it? Did you just I didn't even didn't know Eddie and the Cruisers two existed for years and years and years. Like I, I thought wow. Eddie and the Cruisers was like a made-for-TV movie uh, because I saw it on TV. Because that's where you saw it. And uh, yeah, I didn't huh. think it, it. It. I don't remember it having stars. I don't remember it having any sort of theatrical quality. Um, and and it's weird <laughs> to even have that notion as a kid, but. Yeah, and then when I found out Eddie and the Cruisers 2 existed and that both of these movies were in the theaters at one point, I was just like, what? <laughs> how, does, how do these movies get made that way? Uh, it didn't right. make sense to me. And Because I do remember it being promoted, and it was here in this giant summer of movies that we're talking about. But I only had it – I mean, I do remember it being discussed but i put it on the list because i was working off a list i thought we were going to skip it because <laughs> i thought what a forgettable what an uncle buck of movies here in the summer of 89 but turns out it impacted one of them impacted. well it didn't impact me that summer but uh yeah um it's certainly a 
film franchise I'm aware of. Uh, maybe <laughs> and stay tuned to hear us discuss the Eddie and the Cruisers fanfic we should, from my own website. I, I would love for to an go back and, and see fanfic. I would love to go back and see. Have you seen Eddie and the Cruisers? I have not. I no, no, we I have should. not. I don't know why I was looking for an answer there. I know I have not seen Eddie and the Cruisers. Nor Eddie and the Cruisers too. We should do a. We should do a. We should do a binge. We should watch them both and see what we happens. Should, well, we should first find them both, <laughs> and then maybe we can watch them. After talking about it, do you consider 1989 to maybe be the greatest summer ever for movies? It's a pretty good summer. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I'm not going to say it was the greatest because I don't have mm-hmm. a giant list of all the other summers in front of me to compare and contrast to. Um, well, to compare it to 87 was a summer of Dragnet. Does that help you out? 89 was pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> good. All right. Well, that is our summertime episode of 20th Century Pop. Thank you for listening to us kind of remember a little bit of what blockbusters can be. Um, as always, you can follow us at 20popcast.com. It's not really following. It's our website, but you can go there, stream the latest episode and all past episodes there. You can also follow links from 20popcast.com or from the show notes of this episode and subscribe to 20th Century Popcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, and a couple other mediums for where you get uh, your podcast from. That way you'll be updated with a new episode every time one airs, comes up, which is hopefully still every week. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at subcultist. That's my Instagram, but it's a good way to see what's coming up on the show. I try to post pictures and images for that are relevant to what we're talking about. You can like us on Facebook at 20 Popcast, and you can follow me, Tim Blevins, on Twitter at subcultist. I'm on Twitter as well at rh canning, and I encourage uh, you guys to uh, reach out to us hashtag 20 Popcast on Twitter and. Uh, uh, let us know your thoughts. What were your favorite summers? Uh, what did you think of these movies? And what do you think of Tim? I'd like to know. Yeah, I think we're all curious about that. That'll be good for my ego. Um, so we'll hopefully be back next week. I, I think we're, we're keeping this as a weekly show. And, you know, we are in summer. I kind of enjoyed this. So maybe we'll keep going with some summer movies, summer programming. We'll, we'll, we'll stick it out with what summer is. Kind I like of in that. The next couple episodes. We'll see what we Great. can do. All right. Well, is that the show? That is That's the, show. the show. All right. So this. I don't is... know if you heard that gunshot so... in the background. That's my daughter <laughs> dropping something. I don't know what she she dropped, but that's the show. Well, I hope she's okay. <laughs> I think so. um, do you want to close? Do you want to close out the show? You I did so open it, so yeah. Let me let me close it out with a little thing I like to call catchphrase. Yeah, I might do that next time. No, great. <laughs> you should do it next time. That's your thing. That shouldn't be my thing. That's, remember, everyone, my thing.